0: Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And I'm Scott Peterson. And this is episode three of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. Okay, and here we are, episode three. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Hopefully we've, uh, we are actually growing our audience a little bit. Uh, I stress very little bit, but uh, there are more and more people each week listening to the podcast, so that fills me, uh, and I'm sure Scott too, with uh, warm, uh, fuzzy feelings. So on the uh, topic agenda, uh, summary stuff for today's podcast, we are going to do, as usual, a deep dive into the material uh, based on our uh, preordained schedule. So that's going to be 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to talk some about Great West, which is really exciting. There is We talked some about Great West International uh, last uh, podcast in episode 2, but now we actually have way more details, um, so Scott's going to be walking us through that, which is awesome. And then we have all kinds of extraordinarily exciting rules, uh, some very interesting, some a little bit perplexing, and some that I haven't even heard about yet, and I'm very excited to hear about things, th- these things. But before we get uh, get into that, I want to remind everybody that uh, we very much would like to hear from you uh, if you would like to send us feedback or thoughts or questions about anything quizzing-related or christianity related uh please send your emails to iq for inside quizzing iq at cbqz.org stands for christian uh, bible quizzing.org iq at cbqz.org and the email address is also in the show notes so we would very much like to hear from you so uh let's see scott anything you want to add to that Um, I can't think of
1: anything, Griffin, but I think that's a great segue into our material deep dive in 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, and since we just talked about that email for feedback, I'd be very interested um, in hearing feedback from quizzers about what they want to hear us talk about in these deep dives, because I often think about them more as a question writer, and where are the key verse questions, where are the unique words, where are the sections of the material that are really good for reference questions – But that may not may not be the exact things that a quizzer wants to hear about. And so I'd be very interested in that kind of feedback.
0: Yeah, me, too. Absolutely. Uh, And I mean, any questions that you might have about how to study? um, I'm sure Scott and I have, uh, you know, some similar opinions and some very different opinions about uh, what works and what doesn't work. And of course, you know, you have to find out your own style. Uh, of, of memorization that's going to work for you. I'm, I'm working with Evie right now. We're actually working our way through, uh, second Corinthians chapter one. And it's very interesting to me as, you know, a, a parent of a six-year-old working with her in memorizing a couple of verses just for fun, kind of watching how her brain works is she memorizes very, very differently than how I memorize. Um, I'm almost like a, sort of a, Um, a steamroller, like I pick a, I pick a verse and I just say it over and over and over again and just by brute force sort of lodge it into my brain cells. And, uh, Evie is much more of a, um, I don't know, casual memorizer. Um, she, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of depressing how effectively she memorizes without that much effort, but, um, uh, she has a very different style than me. So, I mean, you get, you definitely want to, you know, play with that and find things that work and don't work.
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of the most common questions that I get is, how should I study and how should I memorize best? Because I think most people assume that the best quizzers have some secret or some method figured out about how to memorize better. And I think that memorization and study is actually very personal, and it's very specific to each individual person, how they absorb material and remember it best. And I think the most helpful concepts to learn are deciding your goals as a quizzer setting out some sort of a study schedule or accountability for yourself and then practicing self-discipline regardless of what specific methods you use to memorize the material because i don't think there is one best method i think there are many 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 good methods um and it's a really good self-exploration into how you memorize best
0: yeah absolutely and you know it it kind of reminds me a little bit about writing a book um I I own a book publishing company, uh, and and so you know I often act as both a writer, you know, when I'm writing my own uh, books uh, to publish, but but more often as an editor. Uh, and working with other writers and and getting them to the state of publication, there's the this this question of like, well, what what works best in in writing a book? And it's like, well, the exact method and methodology and practice and theory and even philosophy around how to write a, a, a novel-length book, you know, a uh, hundred thousand words or something. Uh, it's going to be very different for different people and you can you can ask uh, extremely well known well published uh, authors uh, about their opinions and they're going to give you for each person uh, you know if you ask what's the joke if you ask six writers their opinion you'll get about twelve opinions um, and and all twelve of those opinions are valid uh, and right and self contradictory the th- The distinguishing factor that I found between successful writers who get published. And unsuccessful writers is really just the amount uh, – it, it's, it's, it's just sort of stick It's perseverance. It's basically saying I'm going to set a daily goal, whatever that goal happens to be. It can be very small, but like I'm going to set a daily goal, I'm going to hit that daily goal, and I'm going to do it every day or whatever the schedule happens to be. I'm going to constantly go back to it. And I mean, you can set whatever rate you want to. If you say, "Well, I'm only going to memorize on Saturdays, and I'm only going to memorize for an hour on a Saturday," I'm like, okay, fine. You can still do a lot in an hour uh, on a Saturday once per week. Um, but I think the thing is, if you start with that uh, goal, I think part of the one of the things that I love about quizzing is it's very addictive. If you commit to one hour on a Saturday every Saturday between you know between meets. There's a very good uh, there's a very good likelihood you'll get a couple of questions. I mean, there's a very good chance you, you're you're going to get some material answered uh, at the quiz meet. And if you do that, there's this sort of feedback loop that happens where like it sort of engages you and energizes you. And I'll be willing to bet if you do that for a couple of meets, you won't be able to stop yourself from from adding to that schedule. Absolutely,
1: that's one of the great things about Bible quizzing is. That feedback loop is very short, and especially when you add in often weekly practices that all of the churches do, um, that that short feedback loop really is addictive. One difference I see in Bible quizzing compared to your writing analogy is that in writing, it probably is helpful to be as efficient as possible with your writing. Maybe not always, but efficiency is a great thing. In Bible quizzing, I don't know if there's really a notion of efficiency in memorizing. Um, besides the general thought that you should be focused whenever you are studying for Bible quizzing. But beyond that, you don't want to always do what's easy for your mind. Um, If you do what's easiest, the material may get into your short-term memory. But if you engage with the material in ways that may be difficult for you, it helps to solidify that material in a long-term memory. And so my advice always when studying the, the material is engage as many of your senses as you can. So write out the material, read it silently, read it aloud, quote it, listen to it being quoted. As many things as you can think of um, so that your mind has to engage with the material in different modes will help solidify it. And there were years where I was the International's head coach and I would test all of the quizzers going for International's by listening to them quote the whole material because that was one of the requirements to make the International's team. And one quizzer I remember memorized Hebrews 5 in a British accent. (laughs) <laughs> and when they and when they quoted that chapter, they quoted it faster with fewer errors than any other chapter in the entire material. And I think that's kind of a lesson, you know. If you if you make something meaningful about the material that you are memorizing, either you aired on it, or you quote it in a an accent, or you memorize it while standing on your head, or who knows what, but just something that to give your mind an additional like foothold into that material, it really will help get it into your long-term memory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of parallels, I think, between... Mental exercise uh, in in quizzing and preparing for uh, a sport with physical exercise. There's certain there's certain things like you know if you're on a football team you wouldn't think about going to practice you know once every couple of weeks and expect to do well at a game. You'd be practicing every day. Um and and they're, they're each day builds upon the muscle. Uh, developed in the and the muscle memory uh, developed in in the previous day. I think there's uh, a very similar thing can be said for quizzing that the e- 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 you'll do better by doing one hour a day every day than packing in say seven hours on a Saturday. Absolutely, because if you sit down for an elongated study session
1: like that, your mind starts to trick you because you're shoving everything into short term memory and you're like, oh, I do have this memorized. But if you study for 15 minutes a day or an hour a day. The next day when you come back to it, it's harder for your mind to remember it, and every time that you work to re-memorize it or re-recall it, then it just gets more and more solidified, and the recall gets faster and quicker and more less error-prone. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of Second uh, Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, uh, what are sort of your general observations, or actually, even better, specific op- uh, observations?
1: Well, these are two very short chapters, so neither— Neither chapter gets into gets past, let's see, verses 17 or verse 18. What do you think, Griffin? Shall I talk about inflection when reading a question, or shall we table that for a later podcast? No, we'll go for it. What, what do you mean? So when humans talk, generally, we like to finish a sentence on kind of a downbeat, right? Every now and then you may encounter someone who ends everything that they say on an upbeat, and it. It kind of jars your ears because it sounds like everything that they're saying is asking a question. So most humans will say not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So they go down on firm, and that's just how we talk. like it it helps us indicate finality to people that we're talking to. Well, when quizmasters are reading a reference, they do the exact same thing. So if we are saying, quote 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 or according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 that one is on a kind of a down um is it tone would you say griffin yeah tone or or inflection yeah absolutely so if you really really focus in and a quizmaster is reading 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 um Oftentimes, you can tell a difference in the way that they, they say verse that will give you an indication um, as to whether the actual verse number that is coming is one syllable or two. Um, and that's why as a quizmaster, I try to not force uh, this down inflection, but just read everything as conversationally as I can because I find that it actually becomes more obvious when I'm reading like I would normally read a book or normally talk in conversation to someone and so in chapters like this, where there are no verses in the 20s or higher, you can really, really jump fast on both chapter verse references and quotes. Now, normal caveat, you don't want to jump faster than is necessary to win a jump. But in the event you need to jump as fast as possible, on short chapters like this, you can get a leg up if you work to um, understand this inflection and see, is the, in here, is the quizzer going for four or are they going for 14? And usually you can tell on the word verse. So if the quiz master goes up on verse, verse four, they're going to come right down to four or they're going to go down verse 14. Um, and I find that it may not be very intuitive right off the bat to hear this, but the more and more that you start focusing in On the Quizmaster, it's inflection, the shapes that their mouth is taking. You find all these little vagaries and you find differences between Quizmasters and you find all these little clues that can really give you a leg up. And I I had tons and tons of fun um, trying to get better at this super, super specific part of Bible quizzing.
0: Yeah. The other thing, I mean, totally related to what you're talking about is when you're preparing to jump. Most quizzers do this, but for those who aren't, please, I beg you, look at the Quizmaster's mouth. Um, the quiz master is going to try to stop as quickly as possible. Um, but we're all human and we're not going to stop instantaneously. Um, there's going to be a tiny slip. You know, maybe we get like a half syllable of the next word or, or, or the next uh, uh, part of a word out, or we begin to form the next syllable. So, you know, even if we're it, the inflection, you miss like on 14, you can get the fort, you know, maybe you don't get the beginning of the T sound. I mean, Exaggerating for you know the podcast sake, but visually you can see quite clearly that I'm starting to make a T sound, uh, even though no sound has ever left my my mouth. Uh, you want to get yourself positioned so that you can. You want to get yourself positioned so you can watch the quizmaster's mouth. And please, please, please watch the mouth. You're, you're going to gain a, a wonderful advantage there.
1: Absolutely. And as you start to watch the mouth and you see what kind of shapes the mouth makes on these uh, common numbers, you see things that you maybe not have, maybe didn't expect. I think you would have expected that four and five and six and seven look very similar, um, as far as a mouth shape, but you may be surprised to see that nine, 10 and 11 actually look quite similar to each other. Um, and, uh, you might think that two and 12 are very, very similar, but they actually turn out to be very different. Every now and then I see a quizzer jump, when I've started the T-W, and they guess two, and I, I always good-naturedly chastise them that you don't say two, you say two, and you say twelve. And so usually they can see that W, which is silent when you're pronouncing the, the number two. And as you get more and more experienced and more and more focused in, you pick up on these little things.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. One thing that kind of jumped out at me, in uh especially in in chapter 2 uh here but also in chapter 3 to some extent i mean there's some interesting and beautiful questions that can be written that are, you know, bordering on either tricky or other ones that are just, they're so, they're such good questions that you desperately need to expect them to exist. Um, so like, uh, what was it? I, I wrote down in my notes here in chapter three, verse three, uh, you show that you are what is just this gorgeous multiple answer question. Uh, you know, it's off also off a key verse. So, I mean, you you really should be expecting that that's going to show up. There are tricky questions that that might be asked. So, like in 2 5, he has not what? Uh, multiple answer chapter reference question off of 2 2, out of what? Out of what? Uh, is uh, I think the word out, where did that verse go? Nope, I just said the reference wrong. It's not 2 2. Where is out of what? Uh, it's in 2 4. Two four. Yeah. Sorry. It was, four. Uh, yeah. So uh, out of what? Uh, out is is key to the chapter. And then, of course, you got this beautiful uh, multiple answer question that that comes after it. Uh, great distress and anguish of heart with many tears. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, material there. The other thing is, uh, there's a lot of, again, lots of key, uh, key, uh, sorry, uh, not keywords, unique words that are going to lead to many, many, many great and very fast questions. Unaware of what, captives in who, uh, pleasing what, uh, spread what, you know, these sorts of things, pedal what, uh, and, and these, there's just so many questions like that. Um, so, I mean, I, if, you, if your material doesn't have the, the unique words marked up or unique phrases marked up, I, I really recommend that you get yourself a copy of that because I mean, a, lot of those, uh, a lot of those words are important to sort of, even if you don't necessarily memorize what is a unique word and what isn't a unique word, if you have so that sort of subconsciously focused attention on strong blue words, uh, I think that'll help you a lot. Yeah, shameless plug, huh, Griffin? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So when you talk about unique words being the basis
1: for some very fast questions, you want to explain what you mean by fast questions?
0: Well, I mean that, uh, sorry, and it's not. it has nothing to do with jumping speed necessarily, although it probably does increase the jumping speed uh, to somewhat. It's just that the question itself is going to become key very, very quickly uh you know it's obviously it's going to be key uh off the first word uh very likely or or you know depending upon the nature of the question maybe the unique word is the second word and it doesn't really flow right or to have it be the first word so it's going to be a little bit slower there but typically when i'm thinking of a unique word question that's that's derived from a unique word something like from 215 pleasing what right so pleasing becomes key uh or becomes unique off the single uh word itself so of course the 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 speed of jumping or it based on when it becomes key that moment when a question becomes answerable is much sooner than if i have to go a couple of words in or even as much as five words in uh, the the rule book just requires that a question become uh, answerable within five words so i mean it's a very very different sort of feeling if you're typically uh, getting questions that become uh, answerable around words four and five versus on words one you're going to a very, very different feel uh, to that question. So like in the idea of pleasing, uh, I'm just looking it up, please. So please exists lots of places. Pleasing only exists once. So that's basically the beginning of the second syllable uh, makes that question uh, unique enough to jump on. Uh, And that's, that's pretty fast. That's definitely very fast. And it reminded me of a
1: cool guideline that we use within the Pacific Northwest District. And if you recall back when I talked about weighted averages back before Meet 3 happened and how we weight meets more as the year continues because we want to reward quizzers who continue studying, we do something else to reward quizzers who continue studying. And that's, as quizmasters, we aim to have 50% of questions come from the new material. So for this upcoming Meet, that's, is that Second Corinthians 1 through seven, Griffin? Yeah, yeah, I think so. seven chapters. So that means half the questions are going to come from those verses, and the other half are going to come from all of First Corinthians. So it it really gives benefit to quizzers that keep up on the material and study hard on the new material, which is how we like to have it. So it's kind of a, a double whammy. If you study the new material well, you're going to have a disproportionate number of questions coming from that new material. And because it's a later meet... Your average, if you do well, is going to count disproportionately more to your year-long average.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I keep going off on tangents that are not related specifically to 2 Corinthians two and three, Griffin.
0: That's <laughs> eh, all right. I mean, it's, this is all this is all incredibly important stuff. Um, I mean, I, I, and I, my hope is that captains and senior quizzers, uh, lowercase s senior. I mean, folks who have done it, been around the program for a few years. Are training this uh, toward their rookies and second years and younger quizzers uh, in the program, uh, but I know there's a, there's a few teams out there that don't have that kind of experience yet. They're they're new to the program, and so I think this is really good stuff to go over because it might benefit those younger teams.
1: Definitely. Now, Griffin, you brought up Second Corinthians three three. The, I think you called it a beautiful, unique phrase. You show and i know that myself as a question writer i like to write questions of all range of difficulties from very like key or unique very fast with a short answer to unique later on with maybe a lot of content in it. because i think that offering up this range of difficulty of questions is a vehicle to rewarding the quizzers that have studied better than other quizzers who have memorized the material better that have reviewed more, that maybe have written some of their own questions or studied some specific question lists. And so something like you show is a two-word unique phrase that I love because you may have a lot of quizzers that if given a keyword like pedal or unveiled or condemnation can come up with what the answer is. But in my mind, it's significantly fewer quizzers that can come up with you show. And so a key phrase like that, it starts a verse, so it's not an awkward place to begin a question, but it's a unique phrase. I love writing questions on that because in my mind, it separates the wheat from the chaff. And when I see a quizzer that can nail unique phrases like that, I just, I want to stand up and applaud because it shows that they've worked really hard to memorize the material really well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I love, I love that question on both that reason but also because I can cut the question at the fifth word and everything flows after it just beautifully. Um, maybe not the final subordinate clause there, the not on tablets. Uh, depending on your point of view but I mean you've got some great material there you know letter from Christ result of our ministry written not with the uh, with ink uh unique word but with the spirit of the living God actually I would include the the not on not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts i mean it's it's just beautiful and I love the fact that it's a it's a key verse that I can write a very simple, obvious question on that becomes, you know, like exactly what you said, key off of two words that by themselves are kind of low order words. They're, they're nowhere close to being unique on their own, but those two together are a unique phrase. And so, you know, if, if somebody's even been focusing on just, uh, you know, key questions, uh, or sorry key verses uh they could get that very quickly right off the second syllable i mean that 's the other beautiful thing about it. You show two syllables it's 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 answer- the question is answerable to the end of the verse and a fairly decent sized verse uh after the second syllable and i just i love that absolutely it 's got
1: just about everything going for it as a as a question it 's on a key verse, so a very spiritually significant verse it 's unique fast but not um I guess gratuitously so, and it it flows very well, and it contains a decent amount of material. It's just a really good question. It tests the material. Um, it'll reward quizzers who have done the extra study to know maybe there's only one multiple answer question that starts with U-S-H. Um, and yeah, it's wonderful on many levels.
0: Yeah. And I have, a, I have a theory in the back of my mind that if Paul were uh, alive today... Uh, he would be involved in quizzing because in most of the ends of his chapters, there are these, uh, and I I know Paul didn't uh, segregate the material into chapters that happened many centuries later, but uh, the, well, not many, a few centuries later, uh, but I'm always amused that at the end of some of these uh, remarkable chapters that he wrote are some beautiful, beautiful verses with incredible high quizzing potential (laughs) in them, uh, unique Uh, uh, words and unique phrases and of course chapter three is no different uh and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate all three of those unveiled unveiled faces contemplate unique uh the lord's glory are being unique word transformed into his image with unique word ever increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit i mean it's a it's just a beautiful verse absolutely well, with that underway, the, you have some news since the last podcast. We talked about Grace, Great West somewhat uh, last uh, last week in, in a general sense, but you have some, some news and some updates about it. Absolutely. So I reached out to our, our hosts from Western Canada District to
1: inquire again if they've settled on a location, and they have. So they've settled on the Crow's Nest Lake Bible Camp, which is the same location as last year. So I'm... this. Excites me a lot because I enjoyed that location. I thought the facilities were really good. And it allows PNW to stay on Saturday night after quizzing and fellowship with the other two districts and and then make the long drive home on Sunday. And as an addition to that, Western Canada is also in talks with a very close-by camp that has some more modern lodging in case some adults or officials um, or other adults – want to have slightly nicer lodging than bunk beds. So it looks like Western Canada has really, I guess, upped the ante. I think they put on an amazing meet last year, and they're continuing to work hard to put on an even better meet this year, and I'm very thankful. Exciting. That's very exciting. So we've got quite the timeline coming up for Great West. I've got planning underway that I've already started as far as logistics for the meet, but then also looking into coaches for the five Pacific Northwest teams and also officials that will provide so we 've been asked by the our hosts from Western Canada to provide one of each of the three types of officials, so one quiz master, one answer judge, and one scorekeeper. There will be three quiz rooms at Great West, and Western Canada follows i don 't know if it was a model that PNW started, but um, it was a model that PNW used when we were hosting, but I think it 's a great one to make sure that each of the three officials in a given quiz room are from different districts. I think it's a great setup for competition, and it really um, gives peace of mind to every contestant that no one district's conventions or preferences will rule um, that, that quiz room. There is equality at the, at the officials table among those three officials, and I think it's it's just a great setup. So I'm excited for that. But as far as quizzers, the first big, I guess, signpost of the timeline is meet five. Because at the conclusion of Meet 5, we will have determined our top 20 quizzers that will be going to Great West. And at awards, I'll announce those 20. We'll announce them 1 to 20, keep you in high suspense all the way to Quizzer 20. And it's a really cool time to see those last few quizzers. Maybe they're super surprised. Maybe they were really, really hoping and on the edge of their seat. But it's, it's always a great time to see the quizzers very excited that have made Great West. And so we have you all up onto the stage. And unlike some years past, we won't know exactly what team you'll be on yet. So the coaches, your coaches, will work together to put together what they think are teams that work well together. So if there are quizzers that have been to Great West before, we'll probably try to not put them all on one team so that we spread some of that experience around. If there are a few quizzers that have really focused on key verses, We'll try to not put you on the same team so that you're fighting each other for the exact same question type. And just stuff like that. Um, And so it'll be hopefully only days after Meet 5 is concluded. I'll I'll be sending out a communication to everyone letting you know what team you're on and then who your coach is. Um, And so that'll be a really cool time. You'll know who your teammates are and you can start the communication with your coach uh, as to any strategy that you want to set forth or any team discussions you want to have. Our Meet 5 – I believe is March 15 and 16. If that's not exactly right, it's very, very close to that date. And I am shooting to have a Great West practice one week later. So it'll be March 24 on a Saturday because March 31 is also a Saturday, but the very next day is Easter. And many, many churches have big Easter productions, and I know that many of the quizzers actually help out at those Easter productions. And so I'm staying away from that 31st. And I'm hoping to have a great West practice on March 24th. I will definitely feel out how many of our 20 quizzers that qualify are able to come to see if it's viable. But it's a really cool time to get together as many of those top 20 quizzers as we can and quiz together. Because having that many good top quizzers in the same quiz is a test that is even beyond finals. And I think it's very helpful for quizzers to be in that sort of practice environment before they have to be in that sort of competitive environment. Great West. Any thoughts, Griffin?
0: No, not really, but I mean I I completely agree with everything you were talking about. Any opportunity that you have as a Great West uh, quizzer to be able to practice with your team ahead of the journey and ahead of the uh, the Ahead of the experience is going to be a wonderful thing because i mean these are these are folks that you have seen around meets but you haven 't actually quizzed with you 've maybe quizzed against, actually very likely quizzed against uh, and so getting that cohesive team kind of who 's going to be working with each other and how they 're going to be working with each other is going to be incredibly important absolutely. I think one of the biggest hurdles for a quizzer in their first time at Great West or
1: even their their second or third time is readjusting their expectations of um, how well they'll do. To use a baseball analogy, hopefully I don't lose people with sports analogies, but oftentimes the best hitters at a high school level level, or even a college level absolutely dominate. They hit 600 or 700 out of a possible 1,000, which is unheard of in the major leagues. But in high school and college, that's what they do. They hit a home run a game. They hit for an incredible high average. And then they get drafted and they go to the minor league and they have to understand that if they're a 19 year old, even in low, low level minor leagues, hitting 220 may be a success. But if you're not able mentally to understand that that is the new baseline and new expectation of success for you, you can really get bent out of shape by the fact that you're not hitting 600 or 700 like you're used to, and it can really damage your performance. And I think Great West is very much the same type of animal. Almost every quizzer that makes Great West from PNW are the type of quizzer who expects to quiz out in every quiz that they're in, or at least a majority of quizzes. Well, if you get to Great West, there may not be 10 quizzers in the entire meet that quiz out once. And it's it's such a change mentally that you have to go through to say, if I can get one question to quiz, I'm going to be in the top half of quizzers here. And Great West practice is a great time to start forming those sorts of expectations so that you can say, hey, if I get one question to quiz, I'm doing awesome. And it really helps you continue competing, continue jumping. If maybe you go a quiz or two, not winning a jump or not getting a correct question to not get disappointed and understand that every other quizzer at the meet is in the exact same boat boat as you because everyone here is a really, really, really good quizzer. And that was always super exciting to me once I realized that, hey, I can't expect a quiz out air in every quiz. If I can get one or if I can get two, then I'll be doing great. It really helped me to relax, um, cope with, quote unquote, failure as it was in my head and keep going.
0: Yeah. So do you have um, do you have I mean, obviously, the quizzers are selected based on how they they move through. How many how are you doing in terms of coaches, volunteer coaches and, and volunteer officials? So I'm doing I'm doing
1: quite well on both. I sent out an intro kind of a super advanced email and i've gotten a really good response when we're selecting coaches we use a lot of different criteria when selecting who are going to be the coaches we definitely want good coaches but we do give preference to parents of quizzers that will be on the trip as well as to a certain gender if we need chaperones of that gender so like last year 12 of the 20 quizzers or maybe even 13 of the 20 were girls and so we needed more female chaperones than we needed male chaperones. And I'm anticipating it to be similar this year. I'm anticipating to have 11, 12, or 13 females out of the 20. But we'll have to see. Um, I think that's, yeah. So we're doing well on officials. I will most likely be a quiz master. Cuddy will most likely be an answer judge. Beyond that, it's kind of up in the air. I guess another criteria for coaches is are you able and willing to drive one of the 15 passenger vans? Because it's always nice to have a rotation for drivers there.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So a few more details on Great West. One of the big differences for especially first-time quizzers is within PNW, we have a key verse list that we communicate to everyone. We say, hey, these are the verses that we are calling key, and these are the only verses that can be asked for quotes and finishes. And when I refer to quotes, I mean quotes and quote these two verses. And when I refer to finishes, I mean finish the verse, finish these two verses, finish this, and finish this in the next. So within our own district, we feel it to be very, very helpful to publicize a list that is the basis for a competition to help quizzers know what's going to be asked of them. Gray West is a little bit of a different animal, it's just like internationals in that no key verse list is publicized. And so quizzers have to be prepared for quotes and finishes that may be on verses that are not considered key within the Pacific Northwest District. And that's something that I'm willing to help quizzers out on. I know we have a few quizzers who do really, really well on quotes and finishes within our district. And it may be adding 10% more verses to their repertoire that would really set them up for success on quotes and finishes at Great West. So that's one thing for quizzers to be prepared for. If you are one of those quizzers that really focuses on quotes and finishes within our district, please don't be shy. Ask your coach um, about how can I get an idea of what extra verses I should memorize for Great West or drop an email into the IQ at CBQZ.org or post something on Facebook Or ask a fellow quizzer who you know has been to Great West a few times. Those are all all great options for getting information. And then beyond the different quotes and finishes that you may encounter at Great West, the trip is going to be a super fun trip. Even though the meet occurs on a Friday and Saturday just like our meets do, the PNW trip will occur starting on a Thursday and ending on a Sunday because we have about a 10-hour drive. And so we'll all be meeting early Thursday morning at Alliance Bible Church in Covington, where Meet 3 just was. And then we'll head off, head off east through Ellensburg area, through Spokane, and into Idaho. We're likely going to stay the night in Kurt just like we did last year, Kurt Idaho, and then head on to the camp, get there in the afternoon on Friday, compete that evening, and then compete all day Saturday. And then once quizzing is done and your competitive juices have all burned off and all your stress is burned off, you can just hang out and play games with all the kids from the other districts. And then early Sunday morning, we strike out and make the drive all the way back to Alliance Bible Church. And so because of this big trip, if you are in the running for Great West or hopeful about making Great West, please be asking your parent for information or your quiz coach or your quiz program leader or me because there will be information coming out about how do what what uh ID identification do I need to get into Canada and get back into the United States or what kinds of meals will I have to pay for on my own on the trip or what kind of stuff should I pack and bring what kind of stuff should I definitely not pack and not bring all of those things are going to be communicated out to you and so please be on the lookout and yeah
0: all right good times I'm very sad i I can't get to go this year um i miss uh i miss the uh the road trip portion I miss actually really every portion of Great west but the road trip portion uh i just remember a lot of fun being had on that that being said, I didn't have to drive so <laughs> uh maybe maybe that colors my my memory just a little
1: exactly i think quiz meets are especially the road trip portion are viewed very differently by quizzers. Um, than by adults. The quizzers love every bit of a road trip and wish it lasted 10 times as long, and the adults just dread every bit of the drive through traffic or through snowy mountain passes and just wish that we could teleport right to the meet. Yeah. But I remember going to Great West as a quizzer, which was not too long ago, but decently long ago, um, and we'd take a single bus, which was awesome. because It was so was. It was one bus, and you could walk around in it, and you could um play games in one area of the bus and then leave and have conversations in another area of the bus and i remember you on on that trip griffin with your probably three or four year old toddler at that time were we in the bus were were we in the bus i thought we took a separate car you might have taken a separate car but i definitely remember stops at mcdonald's or whatnot and little toddler Xander being around
0: yeah he's not exactly a toddler Xander anymore not exactly yeah not exactly yeah good times All right. Well, so uh, anything else about Great West you want to cover? Nothing at this point.
1: We probably have like – what are we in? Mid-January? So we've got two and a half months before Great West. So we have many, many, many more podcast episodes to bring up additional information that I forgot or additional information that I find out as time goes on. Yeah, cool.
0: Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, you know, going into our rules discussion, one of the things I wanted to bring up was kind of a reminder of what context means. Uh we talked last week about uh, some rules involving correct answers and incorrect answers and one of the uh, so sometimes one of the struggles as a quiz master is when somebody goes out of context I have to call them incorrect uh, which is really unfortunate I don't want to uh, but it is one of those rules that that is pesky and important to understand and so I wanted to cover uh, cover it a little bit it's a little bit easier now than as I remember it being back in the the dark ages, I remember context as being plus or minus five verses from the origin of the question uh, typically, but that in chapter reference questions, it was the entire chapter, uh, chapter verse reference. It's only the verse in quotes. It's only the verse and so forth. Uh, but that chapter expansion is no longer the case. So essentially maximum context, uh, for a question is plus or minus five verses. And then, you know, if you're, if you're quoting, or if you are in a chapter verse reference, you can't, uh, Sorry, you can't exit the the one-verse context that you're answering. Uh, so what does it mean, though, to exit the context? What does it mean to be able to say, well, I'm quoting in verse, let's say, 5, and it's a chapter-verse reference question, and I say a word that happens to be in verse 4. Am I immediately out of context? And the answer is no, not. And this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy. It is essentially it has to be a phrase that substantially puts you in different material. So if you're if you are quoting say, you know, verse 5 and you're working your way through it, and you inadvertently say the word God or the word He or something like that, and the word God or He doesn't appear in verse five, but it it appears in verse four or verse six. That's not a big deal. You can keep going. It's really more when you start uh, putting phrases together or uh, unique uh, a, a series of unique words together that that. That, that truly plant you outside of context, where we basically say, "Yeah, no, I, that unfortunately you're out of context at that point, and unfortunately I have to call the, the the answer incorrect." Absolutely, and I think perhaps to your
1: chagrin, Griffin, this is an area of quizzing and language in the rule book that I think is so much more positive for Bible quizzing if it is subjective and not black and white laid out. Um, Before we get specifically into that sort of notion, when it says a context shall be limited to five verses before or after the verse, it's long been a question. Is that five verses before and after inclusive of the verse that the question comes from? And it's pretty much always been a convention that I can recall that it's not inclusive. We decide to be nice to the quizzers, and if you're in verse six, you get to go back five, not including six. So you can go to five, four, three, two, one— or seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And I've and I've ruled that way as well. Um, and and despite the fact you're right, I do have a, a shall we say a healthy level of chagrin uh, regarding the ambiguity or the the subjectin- subjectiveness of when a quizzer goes out of context. I I would I I don't like being subjective. I as a general rule, I prefer to be objective because I want to be fair. Um, and if, if there's objective rules, then either I'm fair or I'm wrong. And I can deal with being wrong so much better (laughs) than I can be with being subjectively kind of right. Uh, because, you know, if I'm objectively wrong, then a, a captain can and should, uh, challenge me. And for, for the record, I think, I don't know if I've said this before in a previous podcast. I think I have, but if I haven't, uh, I welcome challenges. All the time, I I don't think I'm challenged enough. Um, I would love to see like healthy challenges, not not silly, frivolous challenges and, you know, edge cases in the rules or anything like that. But if you think I've made a mistake, I really want to be challenged because I am I am vastly. Actually, I am 100% more interested in accuracy than I am in having like a no challenge statistic or something. I mean, I I don't even think we track those things. Um, Do you track Mm -hmm. challenges?
1: I don't, actually, because I think the notation is inconsistent at best on score sheets. But I totally agree with you, Griffin, that quizzers should be given the opportunity to challenge and it should be welcomed by every quiz master. And this is, unfortunately, a sentiment that is not shared um, across everyone within Bible quizzing. And for maybe even the last decade in internationals, there's been almost a sentiment of if you challenge, you are showing up the officials table, which I think could not be further from the truth. But there are many districts that coach their quizzers to never challenge because it's disrespectful. And I I could not agree I could not disagree more with that sentiment. I I would always encourage quizzers to challenge. And as a quiz master I take it upon myself to treat every single challenge, even if it is either poor, incorrect, even disrespectful, I should treat every single challenge with uh seriousness and with validity and every single challenge can be a teaching moment like like hypothetically let's say a quizzer challenges me and they're very disrespectful about it well i'm going to treat them with the utmost respect rule on the challenge however i'm going to rule on the challenge but after the quiz i may have a chat with their coach about a different way that they could go about that challenge going forward but i think challenges are an incredible um incredible tool for checks and balances within the quiz meet because there are things in the rule book, like context, that are subjective. And quizzers and coaches should never make the assumption that quiz masters are infallible. And I think it's very, very helpful for the competition if they come from the standpoint of we're all human and we may make mistakes, and it is my responsibility to know the material and to know the rule book and to challenge if I feel that the rule book has been applied incorrectly by the quiz master and i think it's very very healthy i love having challenges i love having rebuttals it gives quizzers the opportunity to speak publicly and support the way that they feel and to do it in a respectful manner to both the officials and their opponents and i just i love challenges and admittedly i was probably too exuberant in my challenging as a quizzer but those are things that you learn over time right as you get older and you Game maturity.
0: I don't know. I think I'm going to disagree with you on the historical thing there. Um, I mean, I I recall being your internationals coach, and I don't recall you actually being challenge happy. Um, I thought. Uh, I mean, you, you and, uh, Michelle were both, uh, coach, was oh, sorry, not coaching, um, captaining teams. And I thought both of you had a very healthy level and, uh, of, of, of quality challenges, but also respect while doing it. And I, I, I think that's incredibly important. And, 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 and speaking just personally, like the last meet that we had at ABC, there is a question that I ruled on that I look back, I, I mean, Within even a couple of questions later, at, during a timeout, I realized I ruled wrong, and I felt sick about it. I mean, I I, I felt horrible that I, I that I ruled incorrectly on, you know, it was like maybe two or two or three questions earlier, and it was one of those things where I explained why I ruled the way that I ruled, and the what I explained was in direct contradiction, like objective contradiction to the rule book. And had any captain jumped and said, I don't think that's what the rule book says, I would have gone back to the rule book and reversed my ruling and felt so much better about it. Um and it's like I it's it's not the quiz it's not the captain's fault for not challenging, it's my fault for ruling incorrectly. But I I, I just totally want to plus plus what you said that, that challenging, you know, respectful quality level challenging Uh, helps the program be better, uh, and, 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 and both as a, as an official, you know, my quiz mastery becomes better the more that I'm challenged, uh, to be more accurate to the objective ruling. And even I suppose in this case, the subjective ruling. Absolutely. I would, I would encourage all quizzers to
1: have a very healthy skepticism of every ruling that the quizmaster makes and really be comparing it to how they know the material, how they know the rule book and how they apply both of those things. I think it's, I think it is really, really beneficial for quizzing. And I'm glad Griffin that I didn't come across as too exuberant and challenging, but I do know that since I was on a competitive team, I was often in the first quiz room at each quiz meet, which often had the same quiz master. And I know that in my head, if I got a question wrong in my head, the odds were higher that the quizmaster or the question were an error, then I was an error.
0: And so I would
1: <laughs> I would often challenge on me um, and often get either a sideways glance or a half smirk from the quizmaster as I stood up to challenge, which I completely understand.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. But the thing is I remember you being now, of course this may be different years that were, you know, you quizzed for more than one year, so we might be remembering different years. But I just remember a respectful captain getting up and challenging, and I think even a slightly over-exuberant captain who is challenging with appropriate levels of respect, I just can't fault that. I just I cannot get to the point of faulting that. I think that's an integral, important part of quizzing.
1: Absolutely, and there are times when a quizzer challenges and they say, I think you read the question like this, which is actually incorrect and so this should be thrown out, where they may say, I think the quizzer said this, which should not have been counted as a correct answer, but they aren't 100% sure that that's what has been said. And maybe afterwards I'll go back and listen to the recording and it was said correctly by either me or the quizzer. Well, I, I take it upon myself to be very nice and not say, ha ha ha, you heard it wrong. That was a poor challenge. You know, I say like, no, like you challenged because of something that you thought you heard as the captain of your team. And it just happened that it wasn't that way, but I'll just overrule a challenge and we'll move on. And I think it's, I want to always encourage quizzers to challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so what other kind of
1: rules do we want to talk about? Well, I don't think we really dealt a ton with context Um, besides the five verses before or after Now that would be for interrogatives, multiple answers and chapter references. For chapter verse references, quotes, finishes, um, the context is just the verses that the question is from, the verse or verses. But the way that I always treat context and the way that I see it treated most often is did the quizzer go to a different context and not did the quizzer happen to say a word or combination of words that appear elsewhere? And it's a very, very kind of vague or narrow switch there, but... If I'm asking a question from 1 Corinthians 1 1, I want to know that a quizzer has gone into a different chapter or 2 Corinthians 1 1 before I call them incorrect for going out of context. Just saying a word or two words from different that I can say is only one other place is not for me necessarily grounds for calling a quizzer out of context. Context is in place because we don't we don't want to allow quizzers to guess um, or to quote material from multiple different places in the material in an attempt to get the correct question. We want to hold quizzers to a higher standard and have them quote from the correct context when trying to get the question correct. And so I take it upon myself to d- to determine, of course, subjectively, so I'm always open to challenge, did the quizzer go to a different context? And I think it's really, really important because... We're not out here – the like quizmasters are not out here to call quizzers wrong on a technicality because they said he should not, and that happens to only appear once, and it's more than five verses away. Like I don't think that's that's my point. I don't think it encourages study and um, excitement in quizzing, but I do think if I'm talking about – I mean I can't think of a, a good example on, on the fly, but if a quizzer is quoting from 1 Corinthians one one, and they clearly say – a sequence or a whole full phrase from a different context, then they will be called incorrect for going out of context.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, it's immediately incorrect. They don't have the opportunity to continue on their 30 seconds at that point. Um, but I, th- I think it's appropriate. It's appropriate. Definitely. I think we hit context. All right. Well, I think we've covered context. All right. So uh, wrapping up the uh, getting close to the end of the uh, podcast here, but I wanted to sort of re invite. I know I've been I did it at the beginning of the podcast. I'm just going to keep doing it uh, until somebody emails me. So if you want me to stop talking about emailing us, um, please email us and then I'll stop talking about emailing us. Actually, I won't stop talking about it. I will anyway, but please email me. Uh, please please uh, email uh, Scott and I. Uh, you can email us at iq at cbqz.org. We would very much like to hear your questions, your comments, your thoughts. And really, uh, if you have ideas for where you'd like this podcast to go or be, we'd we'd very much like to hear you uh, on those fronts.
1: Absolutely. I know Griffin and I have kicked back questions between the two of us. Um, do we want to have hosts? Do we want to have other types of features on the podcast? Do we want to have this be a podcast, I guess, quote-unquote marketed to people with, outside of the Pacific Northwest District? Um, we're always kicking around ideas like that, and so we'd love to know what you all think about the podcast and what you'd like to see in it, or hear in it, I rather.
0: Also, if you have any ideas for special features, uh, that would be uh, – I'd love to uh, – we'd love to be able to hear – your ideas in in terms of special features to be able to add in one idea. I don't know, Scott, do you want to talk about our crazy sports analogy idea?
1: Yeah, we had the idea um, for during a finals quiz within Pacific Northwest. So, you know, finals is the first team to win two quizzes. So finals could last two quizzes or three or four quizzes. But we had the idea to have former quizzers come back and kind of play Play-by-play announcer and color commentator to finals. And so give a running commentary, play-by-play of what's happening in finals, the type of question that was asked, you know, funny anecdotes from the past, and really make it a kind of a comedic and entertaining feature.
0: Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. I, I mean, if... I've I've spoken to a couple of quizzers about it, kind of dropped hints and maybe very, very strong hints that maybe some should consider it. But uh if this sounds interesting to you, uh please let us know. Uh I, I just think that would be a hoot. I, I think it would be very entertaining. And I think instructional as well. Absolutely.
1: I think Bible quizzing is niche to begin with to begin with, and this sort of feature would be niche within niche. But <laughs> the more that I listen to podcasts and stumble across new ones. There's almost a podcast for every niche that you can think of, and there are far many of these very specific interests and hobbies across the world and across cultures. And so I think it's really cool to have a podcast for this specific interest, and we may even be getting narrower with some of the features. Yeah, that would be awesome.
0: Well, and on that note, I will close by, I guess it's becoming a custom now, I will be uh, quoting from Paul and uh quoting from that verse that I referenced earlier that was uh uh I I just enjoyed so very much. Uh one of them anyway, verse uh well, verse 18 of chapter 3. And uh, I will be uh, maybe altering it ever so slightly, so I ask Paul's forgiveness. Uh, But I uh, ask a blessing on us that we all who with uh, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory uh, be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is uh, the Spirit. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. All right. Bye. Bye.